Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for coming to uh, this live podcast. Um, I normally record the podcast in a tiny studio in East London with my brilliant producer, Hannah, um, who's here this evening. So um, it's really fantastic to have this kind of intimate setting with you all. As the title suggests, on this podcast, I regularly talk to extraordinary people, Um, people that have overcome adversity in some way and as a result have gone on to inspire others with their story. Um, I feel really grateful to be able to connect with people in this way. It's men and women like this that I get to meet and talk to about their journeys that inspires me, that I go home and, and talk to my daughters about who are five and 20 months and have no interest in my career at all. Um, (laughs) Apart from when I was in Strictly for one hot minute. Um, So today we've got a really special um, panel in partnership with Pantene. Pantene believes in the transformative power of hair. A great hair day, no matter what that looks like, can make women feel stronger, it can make them feel more powerful, and that's not just kind of PR jargon, it's actually been scientifically proven. Uh, They've had a study conducted by Yale University, which we're going to hear a little bit more about. It makes sense, uh, the makeup of this panel today, that I would be joined uh, by two women with great hair, I must say, Um, but also not just great hair, extraordinary stories. I, I researched you both in great detail and um, have a huge respect for you both. You have very different stories. Ramla Ali, you're a champion boxer, a recent Vogue cover girl. Paris Lees, a phenomenal woman, a force to be recognised, is a writer and also a transgender campaigner. Round of applause, please. Um, And a little bit later, we are going to be talking to hairstylist MBE Errol Douglas. Um, You'll be able to talk to us authentically about the power of hair, um, which is something that connects all four of us here today. And there are other other qualities that connect us that we're going to be talking about. I never like to make the mistake of introing people because I've had an experience experiences myself where I've been a guest on a TV show or radio show and people intro me and the intro always puts you in a box it always it always limits you like in western society we're obsessed with like what do you do what what defines you what's your tag I don't want to be defined by any of those things I've even been introduced as the acid girl and I so I am not going to make the error of trying to intro you guys and um, and Paris I'm going to start with you and I just I want you to intro and, and tell us a little bit about um who is Paris Lees. Oh, thank you. Because I really hate when people introduce me and they introduce me as transgender activist because it makes me feel like I should be chained outside the railings outside Downing Street, right? With it people, sounds quite angry, doesn't trans- it? It does, doesn't it? And it's like, um, I mean, I guess everything that I do is, is activism in a sense, but first and foremost, I see myself as a writer and as a journalist. And um, I've been lucky enough to do bits of modelling and presenting and just general attention seeking um, yeah, we love a bit so, of that um, I was going to say media something but uh, we've got to keep it clean for fan 10 right um, but, uh, but I mean I, I researched you before the podcast and I, I knew I thought I knew a little bit about you but my goodness you've been on a journey where many people would give up or many people would use it as an excuse and yeah many people do actually yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, for people who don't know me, um, I grew up in Nottingham on a council estate. Um, mm. It was, you know, pot noodle for tea. Um, What's your favourite flavour? dinner. Um, <laughs> chicken and mushroom. Oh, beef. Um, <laughs> and beef and tomato. Does anybody yeah. remember pot One bay bad boy. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was just like you were more likely to find an alien walking down my high street, right, you know, than, than, than a trans person. I mean, literally, you know. Did, did you always know that you were born in the wrong body? Or? Yeah, well, I, I guess it's that kind of, like, cliche, like, I always knew when I was a bit like literally my earliest memory was being like four years old and being like I'm a girl you know and it was like and it was just like no no you can't you were born with the you know and it's you've got to be a boy kind of thing so from a really early age it was just like who did the no come from was that family was that society we are we grow up believing that we are dirty that we're wrong that we're inferior that we're perverse that we're mentally ill that we're ugly that that society is not for us and, and we grow up shamed and my first experience of shame was on the park with uh, a girl who was a bit older than me and we were playing and I think I got my head in her lap and you know I was like four or something and I said you know I'm a girl and she went ah have you heard what he's saying and the boys that were on the swings were like what 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 and they were like she she's saying you know he says that he's a girl and that was the first time that I realized that the way that I saw myself wasn't the way other people saw me because you're so innocent at that yeah because you didn't know what you were saying and and I was worried about going home because I thought I was going to get in trouble with my mum just for being me you know so and and actually this is the thing like you know in in his book he talks about toxic shame so Mm. if you're doing something naughty you've got your hand in the fire your parents shout at you take your hand out of the fire and it's like oh you know but they still love you and you stop doing the bad thing. You know, that's healthy shame. Shame performs a function. It stops you doing things that you shouldn't be doing. But if you are shamed just for the way you hold your hands, what can you do? Because that's you. And so you, you, you depend on your parents to love you and protect you. And so you therefore think, it can't be my parent because that's too unimaginable, mm-hmm. you know? So you think it must be me. I must be wrong. And you are told that you are wrong. And the only time that I saw people like me represented in the media when I was growing up, we were presented as objects of ridicule, Mm -hmm. pity or disgust. And that's why, you know, listen, this is a hair thing, right? It it could be pretty superficial, but actually for me, this was really meaningful because I didn't grow up seeing trans people being celebrated in our culture. And that's changed in the past couple of years. And I'm I'm really, really happy that big brands are getting on, on, on board with this. And people say, well, what about tokenism or whatever? And it's like, I don't care if it's tokenism. It's It's like, this this was a club that was closed to to people like me for so long. And don't we deserve to feel good about our hair and feel like we're actually part of things and be sitting here like like we're equal? Because it's interesting, like growing up, we all have role models, whether they're they're people out of our reach or people in our real lives. And I'm thinking about your upbringing in a small town. Um, who, Who were your role models? Who did you aspire to be like? Well, the only people that I saw, I think when I was very little, I remember Donna International on um, Eurovision, right? <laughs> right. Old I am. Um, and then um, I think the, it was it was Euro Eurovision. We're scraping um, the barrel yeah, for yeah, our models. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't a that. lot. There wasn't yeah. a lot. Or those depressing documentaries, you know, where people are, where they've got a camera in between their legs. Like, but this highlights just... how bleak it really was. You know, but, it's not a joke, is it? Really, you know, it, it was not... pretty sparse. But then it was Nadia from Big Brother. Do you remember Nadia? I do, and she won. And yeah. it was the first yeah. time, and it's like she won a popularity contest, and yeah. if and I was like, that was the first time I was like, I could actually 
I could still be a person. I could go to school. I could go to college. I could have friends. Like, I wouldn't just have to like sit in my house with the curtains closed. I could actually like function as a human being because mm. she's done it. And it was just drilled into me that it was just that you would be a pariah and, and for yeah. some people it is and I think what I really want to say is that I'm very lucky to have a voice in a platform in 2019 um you know for, for kids that are growing up on council estates like I did you know who maybe don't have supportive parents who are getting bullied every day for people who don't pass uh or, or blend in very well in their in their chosen gender was, was um, bullying a big feature through your adult life as well as your childhood um, I was I was bullied violently throughout school and um, I had violence at home and I grew up um, in a house feeling like I wasn't loved mm. with my father and he would often give me a clip around the ear hole for, um, you know, talking like a puffer. Why do you talk like you want to play like a little girl, you know? So I was shamed by him. So I was, I was, um, I was, I didn't feel safe at home. I didn't feel safe at school. Mm. I didn't feel safe walking around the streets. I mean, and that's a big statement, isn't it? You had no safe place. No. Because we all have somewhere to retreat. Yeah, literally no safe space. And then I thought that when I became an adult, all of that bullying would stop, actually. And um, when I transitioned, when I first transitioned, I, like many trans people, I got messed about by the NHS and I didn't have the hormones. And, you know... And, and again, this is where the hair comes in. You know, this is, I'm not just saying this. It's like the only, the tools that I had to tell the world who I was and that I was female was the clothes and the hair and the makeup. But the hair was always the most important to me because yeah. you always associate transgender. The negative thing is that it's all false. It's fake, fake mm -hmm. boots, lipstick, all the rest of it. The hair grew out of my head. And it and was it's yours. beautiful hair, yeah. you know? And it's like, it's me, you know? Yeah. It's actually physically me. And, and that's such a strong connection with identity, Seriously. isn't it? Seriously. And it just made me think, it's so interesting that people would respond to me as a woman and it's like at that point there hadn't been any physical intervention mm. so it's like they they were being informed on how to interact with me as a human being mm -hmm. based on these cues you know and we we, we we maybe don't realize how much information we're communicating with her even if you don't have her that's still a choice that you've made it tells you a lot about somebody's social class about their gender about their health yeah. about their sexual availability and um, you know about the, the the era that they're living in about their culture it's such an important primal means of communication mm -hmm. um and uh i'm just very lucky that i've 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 got my hair because you i didn't know how it was going to be when i grew it and then i was like Oh my God, you got beautiful hair. So this is so. all your natural hair here. It is, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know about natural. I'm not naturally blonde, so <laughs> would you believe? In um, you were. Yeah, in but it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it grew out of my head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And another really interesting part to your story, because, you know, you've talked about some really, really tough times there that, you know, a lot of us probably, if we were facing them, don't even know how we would begin to navigate them, especially without that support structure. But also, you have an incredible career. You write for Vogue. I mean, that, I mean, props to that. That's pretty amazing, right? Um, you're, you're a voice. You're a voice in a world where you were once told, like you said, you were dirty, you were ashamed, and you now fight for other people. You know, coming from that small town, I would imagine people work perhaps in factories, people maybe work in construction. I don't think many people write from Vogue from there, yeah. do they? I mean... Listen, aside from the trans thing, just the thing that we don't talk about in this country is class, actually. And, and you're right, a lot of the things that I've done, you know, I've been on Question Time, I've spoken at the Oxford Union, all of this kind of stuff. People from my hometown don't do that, you know. Um, and I, th I think that... Um, I, I'm just always very mindful to speak up for, for people who don't have that platform that I've got today, but... I 
always felt quite strongly that we could maybe remove some of the stigma around trans people because I knew that we've been on that journey with people of colour. Uh, you know, I'm not saying things are perfect, obviously, but I know that things have got better than they were. And for gay people also, and for women, again, we still got a long way to go. And I felt like it was moving in a direction where we were going to say we're going to respect everybody, right? And um, do you say that because you personally felt a change on the street, in your career? Like, what, what prompted you to feel like that? Well, I just had to because I would have had to have killed myself otherwise. I mean, my life was literally unbearable when I was at university. So was that your lowest point? Was oh, that- yeah, definitely. But and, and there was two things because it was like I wasn't always passing as female at that time. So it was like my life literally wasn't bearable. So it, one of two things had to happen. Either I had to change the way that I looked so that I conformed to an idea of what a woman should look like um, so that I can, it was, so it was safe for me to walk down the street or society had to change. Mm-hmm. And over the past decade, I've actually devoted my life to actually both of those things, you know. But where um, do you get that strength from? Because you don't have a cheerleader behind you telling you that. You don't have somebody who's picking up the pieces in the evening when you go home after a tough day. You know, where does that, resilience come from i just think it's like a really 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 deep sense of injustice actually um and you know i don't mean to be arrogant or anything but i I, i'm not corazal levine but i i I think i'm fairly happy with the way that i look Mm -hmm. i'm I'm fairly intelligent um you know i've I've got i'm very confident i'm tenacious and it's like for me to have such a hard time and for it to be so difficult for me just to be me what if you're disabled on top of that what if you you you've you know even poorer than I was what if you've got all of these different things happening at the same time which is where intersectionality comes in mm-hmm. and it, it it's just not right you know it's mm-hmm. not right why should anybody feel like they can't walk down the street and I think that just powers me that I have to be I think as an activist you've got to have hope and believe that there's got to be some this cannot be who we are mm-hmm. you know that that's how we treat those people i just refuse to believe it and i don't really know where that comes from but it's i genuinely this, believe like optimistic be better yeah this optimistic attitude of there yeah. must be more yeah there must be more to humanity yeah. there's gotta and, be yeah you know and so you do you think i mean like today we are here as, as faces of a major global um hair brand and i don't know if that would have happened 10 years ago it wouldn't and, no and how, how does it make you feel? I mean, how, do, how would it make the younger you feel to see this Pantene advert on well, telly? It makes me... Now it, it heartens me because it's like... Um, I, I thought that we could maybe get rid of some of the stigma, but I didn't realise that it would become aspirational. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, it's... Trans women appear on the cover of magazines. They appear in hair campaigns. They have their picture on the wall in the, you know, in adverts. They win awards. You know, um, look at Laverne Cox and all these like amazing like trans women of color in the states that are just mm-hmm. smashing it and just having amazing, wonderful, fabulous lives. And I just think like isn't that fantastic that we're actually part of it and i i never thought that that would happen you yeah. know there's some beautiful beautiful you know well, people listen, out there you've been part lives. of that change making it's down to, it's down to activists like you that have paved the way mm. so that other people don't experience the childhood that you did and my goodness you're making up for that lost time now look at you now plastered on the walls yeah. you know like seriously <laughs> empowering right that's seriously empowering I mean you know I'd be interested to know um what life is like for you now and I I feel like maybe the whole panel panel could identify with this of one thing that angered me in my own journey was my appearance healed and my appearance was more shocking in the beginning of my journey 
And when I became less burnt, life became easier, which was quite disappointing. And sometimes you can try and dull yourself down to blend in with other climates and cultures and other people. And when I saw my Pantene billboard on the side of a building, I was like, oh, they didn't bleach me out. They didn't uh, Photoshop all the lumps around my eyes. My scars are there. They didn't use a strong ring light. I am authentically myself. I did feel a little bit like, oh, no, I, I hope authentically me is okay. And then now we have social media. And the response was so positive. And it wasn't about people who were burnt messaging me going, oh, that made me feel okay. There was a section of those people. But it was every kind of woman and man going... Thank you for being shot as you. Thank you for it not being face-tuned, edited, bleached out. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've all had similar experiences, but mm. you... I like to be photoshopped to look like a China doll, personally. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean I now is, is on... <laughs> Just eyes yeah. and lips, ideally. I mean, you're stunning, and without... I would, looking at you, I would never understand the journey you've walked, and you present and identify as you are a woman, um, and actually maybe many people wouldn't know the backstory. And I want to I understand that journey of becoming more feminine, and I'm sure is hair attached to your femininity? Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's, it's really interesting because I, I don't want to compare what I've been through to, to what you've been through. But there's any, similar emotions. There's some similar emotions. And I, and I think what you were talking about, trying to look less burned, you yeah. know, is like it makes me angry because it's like people treated me better when I started to look better Mm -hmm. and by better by what how we define how a woman should look in our society and it makes me angry because it's like and this is the example that I I haven't picked this out because of the event but I was like what if all my hair dropped out Mm. what if I got alopecia like Gail Porter you know what if I just like get old and lose my looks or like what if what if I I don't always blend blend in Mm -hmm. as 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 a woman you know yeah and conform like I'm pretty doled up today so I stand out a bit but like usually I go around with my hair in a ponytail and no makeup on and and nobody you know I I blend in kind Mm -hmm. of thing and it should be okay for me to walk down like it being safe for me to walk around shouldn't actually depend on mm-hmm. that and I think that sometimes a lot of trans women are very insecure about their appearance because we're judged to the nth degree you know it's like uh, when I've done tv shows before it was on twitter and people saying oh who's this fit bird on this panel and then somebody else was saying did oh, that you- panic you that kind of comment or what- no, well, it was somebody then said oh you know that she used to be a guy and then and then then people were saying oh yeah look at the hands Look at the Adams app. Look at they're judging you on a whole different level because they know that information about you, you know? So it's like it's you know and so I think it's really important for me to look, you know, like I have a makeup done, I've got my hair, all the rest of it. And it's like it's not so much vanity, it's like that makes me feel safe, mm-hmm. you know, because it's almost like if you look perfect, nobody can take a chink in your they they can't they can't get you yeah you know so it's your it's, shield isn't it's this it? huge yeah. pressure to look at and i do think that you know it's just a fact like for, for trans women in particular if you look okay people are more prepared to treat you with respect and i've certainly experienced that in my dating life mm-hmm. you know you go to parties the thing at university is to go to parties and things and people would say you know afterwards the next day i was like oh my friends loved you you weren't what they thought you were going to be like at all and it's like yeah. you know or you some girls like oh you've got great legs and you've got better legs than me and it's like yeah a lot of 
people do, babe. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. people so patronising. Well, it's know? the same for me. People, it comes from a good place, but when people meet me in person, they say, do you know what? You are actually still really beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what you about... You are a hot potato, though, I've got to say. <laughs> but, but... But it's but, a patronising. But what about yeah. all the people that got burnt and lost their arm? Yeah. And what about all the people that got yeah. burnt and aren't yeah. symmetrical? Yeah. Are they not beautiful? Then is this, yeah. is this still where beauty comes from? Is this still how we're judged? I know it comes from a kind place, but that is not a compliment. And that, is, mm. that, that really is missing yeah. the message of the activism. It's like saying you look good for a transsexual or you yeah. look good for a black girl. Or so it's, yeah. it's like a real do you know it? Do you know it's people's insult when they try yeah. me online is to call me trans? Really? That's always, Isn't yeah. Because it's a, yeah, it's a yeah. way to undermine. Do they really? Yeah, because I'm always quite kind of, you wow. know, I, I like glamour and yeah, lots of hair yeah. and makeup when yeah. I'm going out and stuff. Yeah. And that is always, yeah. when I started dating and going yeah. out to, and, and uh, like kind of approaching drunk men, that sounds weird, but... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and that would be a kind of like insult. So, yeah, you know, so trans, being me you know. is an insult to those people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a derogatory yeah. term. Yeah. And, and I yeah. suppose when I started to research you, I really identified with you because I've had 10 years of a barrage of abuse that's mm. been directed about about being trans. I think so. it would make you an honorary transsexual. Fine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, have it's... to have a sex change. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm up for it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to come back to you. You've, you've just had this incredible journey and you have triumphed and it is uplifting and you know, for me, I am, I'm never speechless, but I am speechless about how you got to here because you're genuine, you're strong, and you're out here now. You know, we're, we're doing, we're the Pantem Power Squad, you're an ambassador, but you're not hiding your past. You're, you're vocal and it's selfless because you could quite easily draw a line and say, I'm successful and I don't want to discuss it. But you are helping all the Paris Lees before you. And I think that's why I respect you. Not the legs. That's why I respect... Legs yeah, too, but, you know. Thank you. Thank <laughs> and I had to sit next to you, you in yeah. Clever. And she's no, got I long... feel massive. Nick. You're so petite, <laughs> you ladies. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Ramla, I mean... I don't know where to start with you. I mean, I feel like I shouldn't. I should have come before you. <laughs> you just <laughs> had so much more to say. <laughs> but, but actually, I mean, you have faced serious adversity. But it isn't about who's got the most yeah. shocking story. Not the Impression Olympics, uh, yeah. is it? <laughs> it's a competition. Um, and you do. In, you do inspire others, and, and it's been a long journey. And you know, I'm going to let you do your intro. Okay, so. Start at the beginning. I wasn't born here. I was born in a country on the east coast of Africa called Somalia and born during the time of the civil war when, um, you know, bombs were flying everywhere and buildings were getting burnt down and all sorts. Um, I'd I'd lost my eldest brother at the time who was uh, hit by a grenade outside of our front house. How old were you when that happened? I I was still breastfeeding, so I don't remember any anything. 
Um, so as a result, we'd uh, left Somalia because obviously my mum just wanted a better life for the rest of her kids. Uh, we, um, yeah, my first hair experience, actually, this is quite a funny story. So uh, we got on a boat uh, going to Kenya and I'd con- contracted head lice and someone's very bright idea was oh you can get rid of it if you just put a bit of rat poison in her hair what? oh my goodness yeah. Errol is this recommended <laughs> no, don't do it. disclaimer <laughs> what would you say to that <laughs> no, that's crazy. No, no. not in the smooth and no, sweet range no, 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 absolutely no. No. <laughs> so you know my mum did uh, as she was told and uh, I became really ill uh, almost died on the journey um, this well, is a real hair story wow. this is a real yeah, yeah real hair this is my first like major hair story okay. and didn't die woo great she's a survivor so I came um so from Kenya we came here to the UK and like you grew up on a council estate uh, no actually we were first housed in like refugee housing and then what part of the UK did you we were first put in Paddington um, but then moved to like East London, which was like our first proper house, mm-hmm. flat, sorry, council estate. Before it was bougie, it wasn't Shoreditch. No. Yeah, 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 before it was rough. Now it's like cool to live on a council estate. Um, and then, um, so as you said, I, I box. Uh, so I got into boxing. Um, I was I was quite young. I was like just starting secondary school, maybe like the summer of secondary school um like what, what inspired you to and it's random to get into boxing as yeah a woman it's, it's, it's it's like at the time it was so random as a woman to get into boxing um I was picked on a lot uh, in secondary school I was like overweight um I went to an all-girls school predom- predominantly um Indian girls and Asian girls who Is are this in the UK or yeah, in, yeah. In, in East London, um, who are genetically known for being very petite. Um, and I obviously stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, picked on a lot. So um, as a result, uh, got into, start going to the leisure centre, through the leisure centre, um, found like a box size class, fell in love with it. And then... So your bullies drove you to your success. Yeah. Oh my so, God, yeah. thank the haters. Look at me now, bullies. Yeah. Um, this is a meme right here. Like. Um, and then from that, I researched boxing gyms in my area and I was lucky enough to find one two roads down from where I lived. Um, so during my... Uh, the start of my boxing I had to hide who I was from my family why what what's the reason so purely because um so I I grew up in a strict Muslim family mm-hmm. uh and boxing is not a sport for girls I was told mm-hmm. very masculine it will take you away from your studies you know you won't focus as much in school so you shouldn't be doing that mm. so I hid something that I loved doing the most from the people that I love the most. That's very painful, isn't it? Very painful. Because we don't want to hurt the ones we love, but also we have to think about our own needs and ambitions and desires and and our burning desires of what's right for us, you know? Yeah, so I hid that, and I hid that pretty much going on like 10 years a decade yeah about a decade if you have Um, a secret tell her (laughs) i will hide it trust me um wow can keep a secret yeah can and um such a burden 
Yeah. I mean, I did have, so my youngest brother who was, who's, who's been in my corner ever, ever since I, I first told him. No pun intended. No pun intended. (laughs) Um, he, he would always help me out in terms of, you know, making up secrets or how to get out of the house or, you know, how I could go to training, how I could hide a black eye, how I could hide a bruise. He was always there for me. So he was the, he was the one person I had in uh, my family um, that I could tell uh, all my boxing secrets to. Mm. And yeah, he, he became like my best friend basically. I was gonna say your yeah. relationship must be incredible because well, yeah it's, it's it's incredible he's he's uh he's my sports nutritionist now oh really wow yeah <laughs> and um yeah so at the time he was my secret keeper and yeah. he would be the person to help me sneak out the window mm-hmm. or help me get into the house through the window mm. just uh, just little things like that he was really good at and you know, the times that he could come and watch me compete, he would always be there. He'd be the one recording. And through those videos, you could always hear him say, yes, yes, come yeah. on, yes. So that was really, really sweet. Um, it's interesting because when you go into a career um, that's only a minority become a success, there's many points when you feel like you're stupid for trying or you won't get to the top. And when you do experience defeat, you want to give up. But it's your supporters that stop you giving up. Mm-hmm. So how did, I mean, how did you not give up when you didn't have parents funding your hobbies, driving you to your matches, giving you your ice pack of your bruises you know there's been a lot of stop and start in my career um so I'd you know do a competition and then I'd get so scared that uh someone would find out I'd stop for a long time and then there's like an itch that comes back oh you've got to go back so went back and it was just a lot of that it was that 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 really like horrible cycle do something get really good at it stop and then you've got to start again sounds like me with the gym <laughs> <laughs> but yeah did, that, did it affect your career that inconsistency because a professional like I feel like I'm not where I am today because of that I feel like I should be levels above where I am today. hold on can you just tell us your titles because I know your titles <laughs> um it's not a lot um oh come on that yeah, uh, my most recent one. So I represent, um, I represent my home country of Somalia, and so you built a platform for Somalia. Yeah. Really. So um, base, when I decided I wanted to compete for Somalia, they they had no like federation. So me, along with the help of my husband, we had to set up the federation from scratch, uh, pay all the fees to join. So everything came out of my own pocket just to set it up, and mm-hmm. it took about a year for that to happen. But finally we made it happen um Um, so from that so the most recent thing that I've won uh, so Somalia is obviously in the continent of Africa so I've won the African championships which took place uh in April of this year Mm -hmm. wow that's incredible um and also you're a Nike sponsored athlete yeah so from um last year January 2018, uh, Nike uh, have come on board to help me achieve my goals. Mm-hmm. Which... You get me some leggings. I can. <laughs> yeah. I can. Yeah. I can indeed. <laughs> we'll talk later. Um, yeah. So they they came on board January 2018 to like help me achieve my dreams, which obviously isn't possible today without their financial support. They helped me because because um, Smiley is an unfunded unfunded federation. Everything literally comes out of my own pocket. Mm-hmm. So so you're really giving back. 
Yeah, well, it's really I'm tr- important. I'm trying. Yeah. So, like, I'm hoping through what I do, young girls in Africa can see a career beyond being a housewife. Mm. They can, like, they don't have... Good for you. I mean, like, they, they don't have to get into sport, but they can see themselves doing something outside of looking after a husband and mm-hmm. kids. And it, But if that's what they want to do, then that's great as but well. it needs to be their choice. But it needs to be their yeah. choice, exactly. So I'm hoping what I'm doing and the sacrifices that I've had to make is helping them achieve mm. that and see that. It's interesting because you were on that fantastic um, Vogue cover. Yeah. We have to talk about that. The, okay. uh, yeah. Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, yeah. put you on there. Um, <laughs> the force for change. Yeah. I mean, that's big, right? Yeah, that's um, that's huge. I actually, I was actually contacted like earlier this year to just be featured in the co- in in the magazine, mm-hmm. uh, a column called Vogue Darlings, and obviously I was like ecstatic about oh my god I'll be in vogue once in a lifetime opportunity and then a few months later I was contacted to say we've been bumped to front cover with like 14 other inspirational women and I thought wow that's amazing and no nobody knew like what it was what it was for I mean we knew it was for the September issue but nobody knew uh the Duchess has had guest edited the front cover. We were only like told the day before. I'd received a phone call. Yeah, I'd received a phone call from the editor in chief to say this is what's happening. Uh, please keep it a secret until it, it comes out. Keep and you keep that secret. Though. You've done ten years before, so it's fine. It. Uh, my my <laughs> lips were sealed. Nobody found out. And then, oh, on the day, the day it came out, I, I received a phone call from the Duchess herself. Really? Yeah. If, if it was, like, withheld, I would have pressed red, you know, like... <laughs> so, so, so I had received two missed calls from a private number. Wow. So I just left it. I thought someone was contacting PPI. me. PPI, PPI or something. Maybe it's the The third call I decided to pick up and the phone conversation literally went like this. Hello, is this Ramler? I said... Yeah, who's this? Literally with attitude because I'd ever been in an accident that wasn't your fault. Something, something. <laughs> and then she said, Hi, this is Megan. And I said, Megan who? <laughs> you are so sassy. <laughs> and then she said, The Duchess of Sussex. And I froze. Yeah. Because who gets a phone call from the Duchess of Sussex? And yeah. She froze she, a champion boxer. That's yeah, quite well, an achievement. And then she kept saying, like, thank you for agreeing to be on the cover as if I'd ever say no. I was like, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, like you, um, you owe me one. Yeah, yeah you owe me one. Um, but no, it was obviously like an amazing, inexplainable experience, a huge honour, something obviously I can tell the kids and the grandkids when I grow up. Yeah. You know, your mum was a spice. <laughs> um, so you're here. You are sat here. You're a trailblazer. You know, your pictures are all over the wall. And again, you're authentically yourself. And I'm guessing that young girl growing up in Somalia, East London, yeah. with that secret with her brother. Yeah. Who who was your trailblazer? Who who were you looking at? Who did you want to be? So growing up, I didn't like female boxing. Really, wasn't a thing. Uh, you wouldn't see women on tv like women boxing wouldn't be on tv so i had no role models or no heroes to look up to so i literally had to be my own hero look Mm. up to my like 
That's be, tough. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. be my own hero. Especially on, on the sideline, I did love Serena Williams. But oh, really? Okay, yeah. But like <laughs> love, within love boxing, Serena. <laughs> within yeah. boxing, I literally had no one to look up to. Um, but now it's just like flipped. Like you, there's like a female on every undercard of every boxing show. So mm. that's that's amazing yeah well thank you because you are part of that and you have contributed to that yeah (laughs) it's amazing so you know talking at length together there I do feel that there are so many things that connect us um not just as women as humans um and obviously there is the, the hair journey that connects us you know the reason that we're all here tonight and it's not just the panel that are connected by hair we're all connected by our hair in this room and we all have individual journeys um for me I've had so many highs and so many lows um, with my own journey. Uh, for people that aren't familiar with my story, maybe misheard and we're expecting Katie Price, slight difference. So, <laughs> so, sorry to disappoint. Um, I, you know, I was the victim of an acid attack a long time ago now, 11 years ago, and I was in a coma um, for a long time uh, in hospital. And when I woke up, I lost all the back of my um, hair from being in that coma. And then I had the front of my head shaved for infection to have skin grafts to stitch onto my face. So I woke up completely bald, um, which is bizarre. Like if you woke up from a coma... Um, you, uh, of an acid attack, you would think the first thing you would think is, Where is my face? But I did remember thinking, I'm bald. And I found it really hard to understand why I didn't have any hair. The front grew back, um, like just shaved hair would. The back took quite a long time to grow back. It started to grow back. And one of my internal injuries from swallowing acid was that my esophagus slowly narrowed with scar tissue. So I had to be tube fed. If you're an anorexic and get admitted onto the ward, you have tube feeding. And I was tube fed for two years. So kind of lacking natural foods and nutrients. So my hair fell out once again, you know, God has a sense of humor two two rounds of losing my hair and it was really difficult because this is such a focal point of communication we tell people how we're feeling how we want to be treated it's our communication point to the world no matter what our aesthetics are it still is and then we're in we're in control of our face and we're in control of our hair so when my hair started to come back I mean the front came back first and I was like a cockatiel but when it finally came back it was such a big part of me and it was like They can take my face, but they will never take my hair. And it came back in all its glory. You know, anyone that's had chemo or or had their head shaved for any reason will know it comes back thicker and fuller. It's virgin hair. There's no bleaching. There's no colouring. You know, it it was the hair I was born with. It was was soft and it was big. Um, And it became a prop for me in so many situations. When I started to try and go out and about and again, it was a shield. When I couldn't handle walking into a crowded room because of anxiety, I would style my hair over my face. And when I really wanted to show the world that I was back and I was confident I would put it up high on top of my head I would curl it you know it it was my everything and it was my communication point to the point where my confidence got so strong it was my show-off tool you know I would be really sassy with my hair but you know I mean we've we've all kind of we've got this in common and I know we're different people we're different women but in many ways we're not I mean, that's the thing with the whole ethos of Pantene. Um, it's about what a good hair day really is and wanting to give women more of those days. I mean, your hair journey, um, it must be a very individual one because we've been talking about femininity and, you know, I'm not saying short hair is masculine, but, yeah. but you've experienced feeling feminine and masculine. I know that when I first transitioned, for, for instance, I lived, in, I lived in Brighton, I was a student and... Um, 
I was really anxious about going to the hair salon. There was a really nice salon. At what the was your hair? Was it was your hair long at this point? Yeah, it got it was long at that point, but it was it was it was that lovely sort of like virgin hair. But it needed to kind of be in a style to sort of like. I, I wanted to get my hair done, you know, yeah. it's like I'm at university, my hair's going out, you want to go to a salon, but I And was, you're on a budget because you're at uni. Well, well I don't right. know, a student loan, you know, yeah, that used okay. to go on hair and makeup, that was spent within like two days. That's but, inspirational. Uh, inspirational, <laughs> yeah, they didn't have any money to live on for like three months, but, um, but I, I was worried about, because I was so, at that point, I wasn't actually open about being trans because I had all of that shame to start off with. And I was so worried that they would know that I was trans. And I was worried because it's like, when you put your head back in the sink, I was like, what if I have an Adam's apple? Because I don't have like a prominent bump there, but you know, you, mm-hmm. you're sticking your head right back and where my hair's off my feel face vulnerable. and it's, it's yeah. like you feel you are you were in a you're really, putting your I, trust into and somebody I else relax yeah. and it was it was horrible and then I, I I did it and I felt so good and I remember feeling like a million dollars when I walked out of that salon the first time that I'd had my hair done styled fancy kind yeah. of thing and I know that it's it's really difficult for a lot of um trans people to feel that they can go and get their hair cut it's just something to think about because there's so many instances in in which society is needlessly gendered really yeah. and you, you want everybody to feel that they can walk into a salon feel comfortable and just you know like you everyone needs to get their head on sometimes right yeah, I mean I yeah. go every week because I'm ridiculous you but, are extra um, yeah I'm so extra yeah. but I think it was because of those years of feeling like yeah I couldn't have that so, so now, now you like, indulge if I, yourself if yeah. I want to go and get a blow dry I'm going to get a blow dry Do you know, I'm not but you now know, here you are you're one of the faces of Pantene you know other women and men will be looking at this and aspiring to have hair like you. Now, I would love to talk to you about your hair, but I feel like your hair would be intrinsically tied to your identity. I mean, we've talked about your career and your sport. I mean, what is your hair journey? I I grew up hating my hair, believe it or not. Well, just because... um, my hair was always different. It wasn't hair that you'd see on TV. You'd see straight hair on TV and shampoos and, you know, hair care products will always be advertising straight hair and, Mm. you know, get your hair like this. And even you'd walk into shops and be like products, black products will be products selling hair that's relaxed and straight and straightened. Um, And like I said, I went to a predominantly Indian Asian school. Girls had straight hair. So I hated the fact that I had Afro hair. And I'd always try and straighten my hair as much as possible, get my sister to straighten it. As a result, I I feel like I've damaged my hair. I was going to say, your poor battered hair. My poor battered hair. Well, when I was younger, because I'd craved straight hair so much, my mum actually straight permed my hair. So that damaged it a lot. I'm loving that she wouldn't support the boxing career, but she would do that. (laughs) Um, so she straight permed my hair and that just damaged it a lot and like I said I'd 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 grown up hating my hair but over the years you know I've come across people that kept telling me wow you've got amazing hair I love your curls I wish I had your hair and over the years I grew up believing it and it, it, it has taken a really long time for me to love it but we have come to this point where now I am really loving my hair. So what does it mean to you? Because it's meant, it, it, it's obviously had shame attached to it in the past. Yeah. Know, present day sat here, you know, one of the faces of Pantene. What does it really mean to you now, your hair? It, it, it Obviously, it means a great deal. To have someone that looks like me be on like such a massive 
like be with such a massive band like Pantene and see my face in like London Bridge mm-hmm. or you know um, like you'd be waiting for a bus and then your your face pops oh, up bus stops. we're everywhere huh? we're, we're everywhere yeah. we are everywhere high <laughs> definition yeah. So yeah it's 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 obviously amazing 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 to 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 to, to be associated with such a big brand and mm-hmm. you know if i saw someone that looked like me growing up i wouldn't have damaged my hair so much with heat mm. i'd have learned to embrace it so well your hair's like, looking pretty fabulous so last but definitely <laughs> not least errol um mbe errol douglas i Thank am you. going to come to you you've won your mbe for education and services to the hairdressing industry yep. um you're widely considered to be one of the most influential hairdressers in the world i feel very intimidated reading this yeah, out don't do, don't. why is hair so important uh for me the empowerment of hair and i'm i'm not going to go on a about um, our company, I've always advocated it because uh, my brand is about technical excellence, about all women, every woman. Hair has no language. Hair has no colour. Hair is just texture and it grows out of our bodies. And at the end of the day, for me, that's how I educate all my team uh, because uh, how I started off in uh, my hair life uh, was uh, Fashion Week and um, uh, doing all different um, hair types. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting, and I say this, and this is a good thing about um, Pantene, they've embraced every hair. I mm. see it as every hair. You know, I'm sitting here with these very empowering women, and I'm thinking, oh my God, should I just sneak out somewhere? Yeah. Should, I, should I just sit here and just watch you and listen to you're you? You're the one because, with the MBA. No, we, no, it's got we, nothing to do with that. We need you know, you it's, to make it's our like, hair you know, you're, you're ambassadors for a reason, and that's why, you know, it's like I'm here as a kind of a expert, but at the same time, you know, to me, you've got great stories, and, you know, I, I, that's what I'm here. But for me, the power of hair is important because it's the understanding of it. Why do you believe our self-esteem is so strongly linked to our hair? Because it's the first thing you see, okay? Hair is hugely important mm-hmm. because it's our makeup, it's our aesthetics, it gives us confidence okay Mm. hair is an investment just like you have to understand the language okay and it's not anything to do with vanity because it's not it's what we are Mm -hmm. it's It's so much more what a beautiful way to end end the live podcast and i want to thank you all for being part of the panel uh you've been brilliant uh and thank you all for listening Pantene is genuinely on a mission to help women have those great hair days that we've discussed this evening. So I would like to thank them personally for making this panel happen, making this podcast happen, and thank you all and have a wonderful evening. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.